0: Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church, and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like Him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? Open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14, today's Super Bowl day. How many big fans in the room, are you really looking forward to the game? How many of you are just in it for the food, whatever food is at the party food? Yeah, that's, that's kind of me. My small group will meet tonight at six, by the way, uh, if uh, like like me. I'm not, I can come and go from the game, honestly. I, I, I usually watch the halftime show and the commercials and, uh, and just eat junk. Uh, That's my Super Bowl plan. Um, But more importantly, Wednesday is Valentine's Day, which is a big deal. But next Saturday is the prom, y'all. So guys, we got to think this through. We got to be like romantic twice this week. We got Valentine's Day. And so like if I bring out all of my masculine magnificence on Wednesday, I'll have nothing left for the prom. And the prom is when I want to peak, you know, like that's when I want... I want to drop a bomb of awesomeness on Casey on Saturday night. So uh, I registered for the Y'all know me. I, I like registered really early because I'm so up on this. I'm so excited. But I didn't put my real name, you know, because why would I? So I chose what do the French call it? A, a nom de plume? Is that what you call it? Like I chose a nom de plume. So I, so I put another name on there and, and didn't tell anybody. And then Greg Reynolds was going through the registration. He's like, who is the Duke of Rhythm and Romance? Yeah. Like, excuse me, like, who else would it be, y'all? I mean, I've seen your husbands. I mean, it's got to, you know, anyway, apparently that didn't go over really well. Um, But anyway, the Duke of Rhythm and Romance will be there on Saturday night. And I'm so, poor Casey, I'm so excited about this. Um, Numbers chapter 14 today. This is the (laughs) second, this is the second sermon series in a, uh, second sermon in a series entitled The Children of Israel. Um, In 27 years, honestly, I really haven't walked through Scripture in this way with you to try to answer some questions about the people of Israel, what it means to call them the chosen people, what it means to uh, see their uh, involvement through salvation history, what it means uh, to try to connect the Old and New Testaments together, uh, how to explain the relation between the Old Testament Jews and the New Testament church. Uh, All of these questions come to bear And of course, Israel's in the news every single day right now with the attack and the war with Hamas. So I know that uh, these questions are pressing for some of us even more so. So that's why um, I have uh, brought us to this place. Uh, And today I just want to talk about a concept called the remnant, and, and we'll get to that. Last week, I simply tried to illustrate what it means to call Israel God's chosen people. And what I said was, Israel has had a very important place in salvation history. To say that they're chosen isn't to say that God loves them more, it's to say that God had to start somewhere in saving the world. And He starts with the man Abraham, and then through the children of Abraham, uh, unfolds His plan to save the world through Jesus. Saving the world through Jesus wasn't Plan B. After the plan with the Jews and the Old Testament, you know, Ten Commandments didn't work out. No, from the very foundations of the world, Scripture says God's plan was always to save the world uh, through Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we talked about that last week. So uh, today the question becomes: You know, where does that leave Israel today? Uh, God chose Israel for the gospel. That's what I said last week. God chose Israel. For the gospel, and then the second fact: Israel refused the gospel. So if God chose them for the gospel and they have refused the gospel, then where does that leave Israel now? Where does that leave the Jews now? And that's what it wants to talk about today. So uh, numbers chapter 14 is where we'll begin. I can't read the whole story, uh, but I think you know most of this story. God has brought the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. It's the Exodus. Uh, that just happened and now he has delivered them to the door of the promised land just like he said that he would now this happened really fast these are the people these are the very people who walked across the Red Sea when God parted the waters these are the very people who saw God's mighty hand at work against Pharaoh to set them free they saw that God did that for them and God kept his promise and brought them right to the door of the promised land he gives them the key and says go on in I mean this is where we are. So they are at the threshold of the promised land, about to experience the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Abraham, all of God's promises to his people. When they get there, they decide to send in spies. I think there were 10 spies in all. Um, they go in to spy out the land, to plan over you know, how they will make their entrance, how they will take over, how they will set up inhabitation. Uh, with the promised land. But that doesn't go very well. Of the spies, uh, most of them come back with what's called a bad report. Eight of them go into the promised land. They come back and say, yeah, it is beautiful there, but we ain't never going to live there. Um, They literally say there are giants there, which is dumb. It's dumb. There are no giants there. I mean, it's like they come back and say, we saw Bigfoot. Bigfoot lives there. No, he doesn't. They're all just people It's just people that live there, but when the spies go in, they see the land, and they become convinced that they can never live there, that the people are too strong, too powerful. They'll never defeat them, and they're ready to turn around and go home. Only Joshua and Caleb have a different report. Only Joshua and Caleb have faith to walk in and take what God has promised them, and this is where the story picks up. Now, we're paying attention to God's ways with God's people uh, because that pattern never changes. Let's watch it here. Numbers chapter 14. am not going to read the whole chapter. I'll jump around and you'll follow me. Okay, so start with verse 1. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. No, they did not just say that. Yes, they said that. They're talking about going back to Egypt. They just got out of there. And now they're talking about going back. Verse 5. Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only a helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Go to verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I've heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now tell them this, as surely as I live, says the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in this wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb. Son of Jephunneh, Joshua, son of Nun. Let's stop. I think you get it. Uh, Life is full of choices. Most of us enjoy those choices. As a matter of fact, in our culture, we almost worship choice, man. We, We love the freedom to choose, and we want lots of choices, and we have them. The problem is, Every choice has a consequence. Choices have consequences. And while you are free to make your choice, you are not free to choose your consequences. Choices have consequences. With choices, however, come the consequences that they bear. The thing is, not all choices have the same level of consequence. In other words, some choices, the consequence is real, but it's not going to matter much. Other consequences have very important, very important significance, sometimes for all eternity. I'm just saying some choices matter more than other choices. Our problem is we're not very good at distinguishing the problems, the, 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 the choices that really matter, from the choices that don't really matter. You know, For example, I don't know your family, but I'm just saying that for a lot of us on Sunday, the biggest choice you will make today as a family it's where you're going to eat when this service is over. Like that's going to be a big deal. It's a big deal every Sunday. Uh, some families, y'all, were talking about this on the way to church. Where are we going to eat today? And, and y'all will get all up in that. I mean, somebody could get put out of the car if they're trying to say Chinese when Dad wants Mexican. You know, y'all will have this whole big conversation. Where are we going to eat? And you do this every Sunday as if that decision really matters. It doesn't matter. Y'all can go to El Maz again. Or you can go to Kyoto, go wherever you want to go. It won't matter. You could go home and eat a peanut butter sandwich. It wouldn't make any difference. You'd just be eating again in four hours anyway. If you go Chinese, you'll be hungry again in two hours, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's different. It's a choice that doesn't matter, but you act like it really matters a lot. You'll put a whole lot into that choice as a family. At the same time, Sunday after Sunday, you sit through church and hopefully you hear something of God's word proclaimed and you are confronted with choices then, a choice about who God will be in your life and what God's will is for you and will you surrender to him. I mean, my goodness, I'm longing for the day when fathers of this church, you know, will will rise up. I mean, fathers going to rise up in your car and say, as for me and this, as for me and my family, we're going to eat Mexican, you know when honestly we need some men who'd stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, that's a choice you make too. I'm just suggesting that on a day like today, you're confronted with a choice pertaining to your life in the Lord that has real consequence, not just in your life, but the life of your children for all eternity. You don't even think about that. You will fly right by that choice, making some idiotic choice about where you're gonna have lunch. I'm just suggesting That might be an example of how we're not very good at distinguishing choices that really matter from choices that really don't. But choices have consequences, make no mistake, and sometimes the consequences will matter for all eternity, which brings me to the children of Israel standing at the threshold of the promised land. God has put before them an epic, epic decision. I think they ought to know Surely they understand the choice that's before them. Surely they understand the consequences of this. I I don't I don't know. It doesn't sound like they know anything when they stand there and say, maybe we should just turn this whole bus around and go back to Egypt. At that point, they don't sound like they know what's going on at all. I mean, that's insane. And yet that's their suggestion. I mean, they have a choice to make. They are God's chosen people. And God did promise them a home in the promised land. And God kept his promise. And they saw him split the Red Sea. They saw everything he did by his mighty hand to deliver them from Pharaoh in Egypt. They saw all of that. They get to the promised land and they choose not to go. They just decide that they'd rather have the wilderness than the promised land. That's their choice. That wasn't God's plan. That was their choice. And so understand the consequences of that choice. I mean, God just gives them exactly what they asked for. It's not even what I would call judgment. It's not that God judges them. It's just they want the wilderness, so God gives them the wilderness. You asked for it, you got it. If that's what you want, that's what you shall have. But understand the consequences of that. You're going to die in this wilderness. You want the wilderness? Okay, you're going to walk around in this wilderness until you go belly up in the sand. That's what you're choosing, and that's what they chose. And that's what happens. Do you understand that? The very people of Israel who left slavery in Egypt to go live in the promised land, they never lived in the promised land. They chose not to go. And so God honors that choice. This is something you must recognize because it's a pattern all through the history of God's people of Israel. And still, this is how people are. We make choices and those choices sometimes have eternal consequences. And in this case, they make a choice not to follow the Lord. They follow them this far, but they're not following them any further. And that's a choice that they're free to make. However, it's going to have consequences. They're going to die in the wilderness. So just connect the dots here. You have the, the children of Israel, the, the, the descendants of Abraham, who were to be the heirs, the inheritors of everything that was promised to Abraham, including the land. But they're never going to receive those promises. Most of them never will. Understand, there are some who will, I love what it says, everyone 20 years old and up will never go in the promised land. So that just means their kids got to wander out and bury everybody. I mean, we're going to wander in the wilderness until the last old person dies, and then we have their funeral, and then we go to the promised land, but not one minute before. Every single member of the house of Israel who refuses the Lord will die in the wilderness. Do you see that? Do you understand that? So apparently, being a descendant of Abraham is not enough to get you into the Promised Land. Do you understand that? It must be something more. And this is what the story. This is what the story illustrates. I understand it. Do some things with me. Throughout salvation history, some Jews refuse to follow the Lord, and some remain faithful. That's just the story. The whole time. Some of them will, will be faithful to the Lord. Some will believe. Some won't. That's always the story. So recognize that pattern. It is never that all of Abraham's sons and daughters are going to be saved. It's never that way. Some are, some aren't. It depends on the person, it depends on their response. God's work always continues with the remnant. That's a very important word the remnant. What's the word remnant means? Somebody tell me. Yeah, remainder. Absolutely. The remnant are the ones who remain. And throughout the Old Testament, throughout the history of the people of Israel, it's never been all of Israel. It's always been the faithful remnant, the ones who would follow. And it was never the majority, but it was that faithful few who would believe God and step into the promises of God, and they had faith. And it's that faithful few, that faithful remnant that God works through all the way through salvation history. It's always the remnant. It's a remnant. This is biblical. Obviously it is. Romans chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. That's Paul in Romans chapter nine. The people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, but only a remnant will be saved. That's how it always was. Y'all remember the prophet Elijah after Mount Carmel, the story in the Old Testament where uh, Elijah gets real depressed and it's that story where God comes by and there's still a small voice and all of that. But at the end of that story, Elijah's like, I'm the only one left. Like, all of your people are worshiping Baal. I'm the only one left. And what does God say? Elijah, you are not the only one left. I got 7,000. That's the remnant, understand. I got 7,000. Now, 7,000 is a lot of people, but it's not, it's not everybody. It's not 100%. It's more than Elijah thought, but a whole lot less than you to hope for. But what's the point? There was a remnant, and God is always going to work with the remnant. That's all God can do. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, and God can only work with faith. He can't work with unfaith, and so God continues to work through the remnant. Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, that's biblical language there, of course, because God told Abraham to step out of his tent and look up. Look up at the sky. Look at the stars. Count them if you can. We talked about this last week. Count them if you can. That's how many children you will have. What did God mean by that? Who are the children of Abraham? All right, well, um, if you grew up in church, and I'm probably going to age myself here, but I'm an old man. Let's all get used to that. He's an an old man. Um, In my day, we used to sing a song in Bible school, and we would sing, Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. Y'all remember? How many old people in the room? Y'all remember? Yeah? Yeah. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. Okay? Explain that cuz didn't we think that when abraham was looking up counting the stars didn't we think that was like his family tree like like family like descendants like out of his loins you know what i mean like like that kind of descendant a, a physical descendant sons daughters granddaughters for generations didn't didn't we think that was some sort of you know prediction of of a literal race of people that would come from the dna of of Abraham, because that's not what you just saying. You said I am one of them, and so are you. So, what are we talking about? Obviously, through Scripture, the fulfillment of that promise—you are going to have children like the sands of the sea or like the stars in the sky. Obviously, that was that was something more than just a promise that would be fulfilled physically through the birth of natural children. Uh, Romans chapter nine, verses six and eight. Paul says this. Get ready. Not all who were born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. What? That's what it says. Not all who were born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Not all who were born into the nation. This is Paul speaking in Romans chapter 9. Incidentally, if you're very interested in all of these questions pertaining to Israel, Israel and the Old Testament, Israel and the church, Israel and the gospel, Israel and the world, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 is where you need to go. Romans 9, 10, and 11. Paul dives into it. He dives into it. And and honestly, a lot of people just don't pay enough attention to these kind of verses. Paul's a Jew. And Paul says, not all who were born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. So understand what he's saying. The true people of God were never simply the ones who shared Abraham's Jewishness. It's not enough to be Jewish. It was never enough to be Jewish. The true children of Abraham are the ones who share the man's faith. He's a father in faith. When God said your children will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, he's talking about spiritual children. I am one of them and so are you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not all the descendants of the nation of Israel are the people of God, Paul says, so, ones who share Abraham's faith, you have to share his faith. It doesn't matter if you share his Jewishness. Uh, let me do one thing, then we will do another thing, and then it'll be done. Um, let's do this. Um, when we use the word Israel, the designation Israel, what are we talking about? Okay, by my estimation, you can, you can probably be talking about four different groups or entities. Sometimes they overlap. Sometimes they don't, but you need to understand the distinction. Israel first can refer to the ancient people of God. So often in Sunday school or church, when we talk about Israel, we're often telling you an Old Testament story, and we say the people of Israel, and we just mean the ancient people of God, the literal sons and daughters of the patriarchs, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, the ancient people of God, the Old Testament people of God. And very often in church, when we say Israel, that's what we're talking about. But understand, sometimes when we say Israel, we mean ethnic Israel. I mean, there really is a a literal, natural, biological race of people, and they're called the Jews, the Hebrews. And and this is a race of people that has lived around the world multiple places in all times throughout history up to the present day. So again, there's the ancient people of God, the, the literal children of the patriarchs that lived back in Old Testament days, but there's ethnic Israel, Jews that have lived throughout history. All right, number three, The modern, geographic, political, secular nation of Israel that you can locate on a map. This modern nation that is in our news every single day right now. It's Israel. It's a nation. It's a state. And they are under attack. Not just now. They've always been under attack. We'll talk about that next week. But this nation of Israel. Now, please understand... It's a nation, the way Turkey or Iran or Iraq or Great Britain or Ireland or France, all of these are nations, and Israel takes its place among the nations. But this modern geographic political nation is is secular, it's very secular. What I mean by that is you can't just romanticize it and imagine that all those Jews over there in Israel are like, you know, Abraham and Moses walking out of the Ten Commandments and being faithful to God. That, that's not who the Jewish people are necessarily in Israel. It's a secular state. It's a secular nation. Make sense? Um. The choices they make are often from a secular, they're not necessarily seeking to do God's will. It's a secular nation. It's a secular state. Now, one more. When we say Israel, we can refer to what Paul would call true Israel or spiritual Israel. And honestly, this is what I'm trying to help you understand today. When you say, I am one of them and so are you, we're talking about true Israel, the Israel of God, as Paul would say, spiritual Israel. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm talking about? Um, turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. I don't have this for the screen. Um, turn in your Bibles. Everybody's got phones now, so when I say turn in your Bibles, I don't hear any pages turn. Um, if you've got a phone, please just go whoosh, 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 whoosh so, so I'm, I hear pages. It makes me, feel, makes me feel less alone. Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29 These are very important verses to understanding the gospel, and especially the gospel in relation to Jews and Gentiles. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. All right, what? Because I read the whole Old Testament before, and it was all about Jew and Gentile. But you got to understand, something happened. Something big happened and changed everything. Now, the something that happened was the very something that the whole Old Testament points to. It's the coming of the Messiah. It's the coming of Jesus. It is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to save us. It's in Jesus. When Jesus comes, that changes everything. We're not waiting anymore for God to reveal his salvation. God's salvation has come. In the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, it changes everything. And Paul is trying to help everybody catch up with the way everything has changed now because we know that salvation comes through Jesus. So, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. That's just an amazing declaration. What I'm not sure that some of us ever understand is from God's view, there's really only two ways to categorize people. And obviously it's not by race or nation. They're no longer Jew or Gentile. God isn't dealing with the human race any longer in terms of Jew and Gentile. That doesn't matter. There's one way of salvation, that's through Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. You see, some of us can't get past that. We just cannot get past the idea that race should matter. Race doesn't matter. Race doesn't matter to God. I I mean, I know, I mean, I I shouldn't go there, but I'm going to just go there. I, I mean, some of you are all about race. Like, well, Pastor Tim, you know, you tell me God doesn't care what color boyfriend my daughter comes home with. That's what I'm telling you. The Bible never forbids marrying outside your race. The Bible forbids marrying outside your faith. So if you want to get all up in something, get upset if your daughter brings home a boy that's not a Christian. That's what you ought to you know, lose your mind over. But if he's got a good job and makes good money and you know, you're probably okay with that as long as he's got your skin color. I'm saying, you don't seem to understand how God's looking at the world God doesn't look at the outside, he looks at the heart. So there's no Jew or Gentile, there's no race involved, slave or free, any kind of socioeconomic status, anything you could try to mention to categorize people, none of that matters to God. Do you understand one thing? From God's view, there are only two kinds of people, lost and saved. That's it. Lost and saved. That's it. So if you want to talk about the Jewish people today, I guess I'd have to say, well, well what is or what Jewish people are you talking about? Amen. Which ones? Because from God's perspective, there's only two kinds of people, lost and saved. So if you want to talk about the Jews, it would be just like talking about anybody else, the lost ones and the saved ones, the ones who belong to Jesus and the ones who don't. That's the only category that matters. Are they lost or saved? You understand? I mean, so understand, and I know this sounds harsh, but I'm not saying about the Jews anything I wouldn't say about every other group of people on the planet. Most of the Jews are lost because they have rejected Jesus the Messiah. They're lost. God loves them. God loves them with an everlasting love, but they're lost. They're just as lost as anybody else that doesn't know Jesus. I'm not saying they're exceptionally lost. They're just lost. Like everybody else, I said, but Pastor Tim, they're Jews. They read the Old Testament. They pray to our God. Yes, they're religious. And Paul would say they've they've had a lot of advantages. They did receive the law. They had the prophets. They had this front row seat in salvation history the whole time. God revealed his might to them, and God revealed his son to them. The gospel came to the Jews first, Paul says. But they turned away. They turned away. They have refused the salvation that God himself brings through their Messiah. They have refused him. So understand, when you turn away from Jesus, you've turned away from God. There is no salvation. There's no other name. Even if you throw in the name of Moses or Abraham, there's no other name by which a person can be saved. They have to put their faith in Jesus. If they do not receive Jesus, they're as lost as anybody else. But Pastor Tim, I've been to the Holy Land. I've seen some of them, how they pray. All kinds of people pray. Do they know Jesus? Because until they pray, Pray the sinner's prayer and receive salvation through Christ. I'm telling you, they're lost. I'm not making it up. Romans chapter 11, verse 28, Paul says, many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the gospel. And when Paul says this, he says, my heart is breaking. Remember, Paul's Jewish. And Paul says, these are my people and they're lost. And Paul literally says, I, I would go to hell myself if, if it would mean the salvation of my people. Paul says that. I'd go to hell for him if I could. He loved his people. He loved the Jews, but he still tells the truth. They're lost. They're enemies of the cross. They're enemies of Christ because they do not receive the gospel. So where we started, the people of Israel were chosen for the gospel, but they refused the gospel. So where does that leave Israel today? Well, Paul, again, Romans chapter 11, it's it's beautiful. Paul uses an analogy of like a vine or a tree. Think of it like salvation story, salvation history as as a tree, a vine. And this is what Paul says. Some of these branches from Abraham's tree have been broken off. He's talking about the Jewish people there. What's he mean? By their own unbelief, they've been cut off. There's nothing new about that. Again, we started in Numbers chapter 14 where they refused to have faith. They refused to believe the Lord. They refused to follow the Lord. And they died in the wilderness. The remnant moved forward with God's plan. And this is what Paul is saying now. It's a remnant. There are still Jewish people who love Jesus and have put their faith in the Messiah, and they are the remnant, and they are God's people, and this is what Paul says. Some of these branches from Abraham's tree, they they have been broken off, and if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, God has the power to graft them back into the tree. Now, that's the power of salvation. They're not lost forever, but they're lost until they come to Jesus But anybody who comes, I mean, this is why Paul says in the middle of this conversation, in the middle of this conversation in Romans chapter 10, this is where Paul says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when he says whosoever, he means whosoever, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter who you are. There's only one way of salvation, it's through Jesus. But if you call on Jesus, he has the power to save you. This is... What Paul says, this is where Israel is today. This is what we hope and pray for, that they'll turn from their unbelief and come to Jesus and uh, they'll get grafted back into this magnificent tree of salvation. But if they don't come to Jesus, y'all, they are, they're broken off. So what it mean? Well, make no mistake, God loves Israel. God loves the Jews. He loves them. That doesn't mean he loves them more than any other nation. I don't know that you could even say that. How could God, who loves each one of us with this infinite, eternal, unconditional love, how could you say he loves one of us more, I mean? There's nothing you could do to make him love you more and and nothing you could do to make him love you any less. He loves us all with an everlasting love and he loves the Jews. God loves Israel. When Paul talks about Israel, he's talking to Gentiles. He says, don't you all get, you know, all cocky about yourselves. You may be branches, but you're still talking about the roots, (laughs) the roots of salvation. You need to have some respect and love for the roots of salvation. This is, Where our salvation comes from They had the front row seat They had the revelation of God And the prophets And the story of the Messiah But they turned away God still loves them God wants to save them So as far as I'm concerned um, As far as you're concerned If God loves them You love them too. You love them too. You love the Jews, you love Israel, you love them because God loves them. And if God wants them to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let's me and you make sure they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to know. We need to tell them. The Jews were chosen for the gospel They have refused the gospel, but if they will listen to the gospel, all of Israel will be saved, just like everybody else. Pray with me.